Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome. This is the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for coming. This is episode 89 with Paul Verhoeven. You can find him on Twitter at Paul V E A at Paul V E R H O E V E N. Paul V E R H O E V E N. He is a fabulous comedian, actor, writer, professional video game player. And very interesting man. We'll talk to him in a moment. Thank you so much for being here. Please subscribe to the show if you want to make sure this podcast arrives in your phone each and every week without delay. Thank you so much for everybody that emailed this week. Super awesome to hear all of your stories. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Also, you can email me, send Osher email at gmail.com. Uh, especially big thanks to the person that emailed and said they'd uh, just run a half marathon and every time their body wanted to tell them to stop, they threw their hands in the air and said, how fascinating. They made it over the line. That uh, makes my day. Absolutely makes my day. Um, thank you so, so much for getting in touch. You can find me on Twitter or on Instagram. I did block a whole bunch of people accidentally on Twitter about a year and a half ago. Super sorry about that. But if I did do that, just let me know on Instagram and I'll try and come on and block you. But it was about 27,000 people that I nuked all at once. So yeah, sorry about that. Hope your week was good, whatever you were doing. Hope everything was cool in, in your part of the world. I'm uh, working a lot at the moment, which is great because when I'm busy, things are good, but the noise in my head does continue, which is yeah, sucks, but you know, it's always, it's always there. I'm working with all the people that I need to work with on that, but the noise in my head is always there, but I am learning to ignore it better and better. Um, I still wake up and it's still waiting for me by the bed, like the loyal black dog that it is. It's, it's there going, oh, you're awake here, be afraid. But it's okay. I just try and look at it for what it is. I try and get on with my morning and take care of the things that I can. Um, exercise, nutrition, purpose. Because, you know, as the saying goes, whichever dog you feed is the one that gets stronger. So 
I try not to fear, feed the black dog, try and feed the, the white lab. <laughs> uh, but on that, uh, this week, I am absolutely thrilled to announce to you uh, a new project that I've been working on. I've been teasing about this for a long time now, but I'm super, super, super excited that I can finally, finally tell you. We've been working on this for about 18 months now, a lot of hard work from a lot of people involved, but we are finally launching today a podcast that I am super duper so, so proud of. Today, we launch Movember Radio. The RSS is live. Search for it wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes or Pocket Casts or wherever. Movember Radio is conversations with people from the Movember community about men's health and the issues that men face today, particularly to do with prostate cancer, testicular cancer and suicide prevention. I speak with people who are massive, high-profile sporting heroes. I speak with people who are everyday men around the world from all parts of the world. And all these men have one thing in common, all these women as well. I speak with a lot of women as well. They're all raising awareness around prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and suicide prevention. This week, I would ask of you one thing. The way the iTunes store works, which is at the moment, it is all we've got to work with, but it is the only real kind of podcast chart that the world uh, has. Uh, to give us a, a bit of a boost in the first few weeks. We only have a first few weeks to get a new and noteworthy, that sort of thing. So I'd ask that you download the first five episodes. They're only half an hour long. Uh, they're great listens. I'm super proud of all of them. Please take the time to rate and review them in the iTunes store. The algorithm works not only with downloads, but also with ratings and reviews. So that'll help us raise the profile of the show to get the word out about Movember Radio and the message that we're carrying as much as we possibly can. So thank you so, so much. Movember Radio is out there. We've there's a big team of people. We've been working on it for a long time. It's a big production. It's a long way from me and my little Zoom and one microphone and a laptop. There's a lot of people involved with this, so I'm super super excited about this show. Um, and I, I really hope you dig it. So please let me know what you think of that show as well. I'll get straight to my guest today, Paul Verhoeven. He is a multi talented comedian, actor, writer, broadcaster, and professional video game player from Australia. Uh, he's a very interesting man. He hosts the enormously fun kids game show Steampunks on ABC3, where uh, he plays the part of an, I guess you'd call him an 18th century technologist who's wonderfully eccentric, excellently over the top, and by David Lynch's quiff, has some fantastic lines to get away. Uh, Paul's regularly stopped in the street by small people who are kind of flummoxed that this man from the television is appearing on the street before them, but he happily, happily obliges these small people by he slips into character and he interacts with them and stuff like that. He's a wonderful guy. And yeah, he's also figured out a way to get paid to play video games for a living, which is awesome if that's your thing. Paul's a very, very interesting, very funny man. And I guess not surprisingly, because a lot of people who have that kind of role in life often have a big hole that they've been trying to fill. He tells a tale of triumph over bullying at school, pretty heavy bullying, actually. He tells a tale of triumph over a life as a medicated child with ADD. And he talks about what it was like to possibly do all of this with a man for a father that was possibly a secret agent, considering when you hear what his dad did for a living. Find him on Twitter at Paul Verhoeven, P-A-U-L-V-E-R-H-O-E-V-E-N. Tell him that you heard him here on the show. But now come to uh, come to the eastern suburbs of Sydney on a, uh, a sunny winter's morning to have a conversation with Paul Verhoeven. Hi, Paul. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Welcome to my kitchen. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're about to uh, hear the strength of street knowledge, but also the sound of omelets being cooked. Great. 
behind us. I do enjoy omelets. Well, unfortunately, the listener won't uh, benefit from the great <laughs> taste of the omelet. Uh, Welcome. Thank you for having me. Sydney's your hometown, right? It is, yeah. I was here for the first 24 years of my life. In fact, I never left the country until I left Sydney. What? Yeah. I was grounded for 24 years. For what? What did you do? Um, I was the only nerd slash hipster in a small beach community. I think I was being punished for my bookishness. Um, I grew up in Manly and thereabouts. So Small beach community? Come on. It's it was massive. Well, it, felt, it was small when I grew up. Um, and as somebody who kind of fetishized the city and, you know, like the, the big bright city lights, it, it just felt small. Uh, although now I go back on the ferry during summer and, my God, it's just – it's too crowded now. What's Manly like to grow up in? Because when I first moved to Sydney in 99, mm. Bondi was rough as guts. Yeah. I lived in Bondi. It was rough as guts. Heaps of housing commission, heaps of kind of lots and lots of backpackers pre-Olympics. They still haven't cracked down on the illegal um, backpacking stuff. So mm. an apartment like this would have 18 people in it and it was cool. super dodgy. <laughs> And then they swept through that Olympics time and then I'd go up to Manly and go, oh, so this is where all the bloodbaths have come to here yeah. in Coogee Bay. Yeah. Um, so growing up there, was it was it rough? Was it okay? Um, it did get a little bit rough because it got rougher when I started, you know, going out and drinking when I turned 18. Mm. So I would work at this video store and I'd do the three to midnight shift. And then at around 11 o'clock, your friends would start to stream in with alcohol and then you would just pretend the store was shut, drink until midnight mm. and then go across to the stain, which is both literally and figuratively exactly what it sounds like. It sure is. Just revolting. Just the carpet made this bizarre noise as if you were walking through like a low-level Dagobah-style swamp system. And so we kind of squelch our way in there and drink until about 8 or, you know, 7 or 8 in the morning, whenever that place let us out. And the things I saw in Manly at that hour on the Corso were just horrific. I mean, I'm sure it's pretty gentrified now. I haven't been back in quite a few years. It's nasty. Still, it's nasty. Is it? Yeah. Oh, man. Because I growing up on the northern beaches was was very strange. My I went to Chroma Primary and then I went to Narrowena uh, to St. John's. And that was primarily like an Italian community. And most of my mates were Italian growing up. And I just felt like I was always sort of vaguely in trouble. Um, and I haven't felt that since I've moved to Melbourne. Now, I don't think that's a Sydney thing. I think that's a me and Sydney thing. I think we're like enzymes that don't quite mix. So I really like visiting. But after about a week here, I start to feel a little Did bit. Did you surf? Uh, <laughs> I would occasionally go to the beach with my family. And I would sit in the car and I would read fantasy novels as my family kind of cavorted in the waves. And then if I was dragged out, as my dad was wont to do, I would go exploring around the rocks. So, you know, you go down to like gum, Coca-Cola, whatever, and you kind of, I would spend hours climbing around the rocks, basically just role-playing in my head, and then I would scamper back. But I barely went in the water, barely. Did, so that would have been, that would have made it pretty weird for you at high school then because there at that part of the world, mm -hmm. if you don't surf or play rugby league, then what kind of creature are you? That's it, yeah. But things did turn because when I turned like 18 or 19, my my Wookiee genes kind of kicked in and my facial hair started to ramp up and I kind of got very big very fast. And suddenly I looked like the like I looked very manly very early. So I bailed out of high school at the end of year 10. Um, I went to St. Paul's in Manly, which is a private school, and I was quite badly bullied and I just didn't fit in. Like you said, I didn't have the sports chops. And so I went and did TAFERI over at Seaforth, 
and study. TAFE, for the folks who are listening overseas, TAFE is technical and further education. Yeah. I am also a TAFE graduate. Yeah? Yeah. It's basically yeah. community college. Yeah, pretty much. Is what it is. Yeah. And I studied graphic design there and I had basically this one-year course, which was effectively Cameron Crowe's almost famous, but with a kind of Northern Beaches tint to it. You know, I met girls and I tried things for the first time and I, I had really worldly experiences. And then I went back to high school and I went to a, um, a public school and I was a year older and I had facial hair and I was old enough to buy booze halfway through my run. And suddenly it felt right. Like I mm. got I got school um, and it was just nice having the pressure taken. So hang on, let's go back for a second because I, I, got, I got bullied as well, but never so badly that I had to leave. Well, mm. What were the conversations with your folks like? Did they Were they worried about the bullying? How early did it start? Oh, they backed me. They totally backed me. In fact, it started in year five. I... We, my parents moved a few blocks away and they made this bizarre choice, which they've since regretted to move me to a different school, but was just around the corner. Um, despite the fact that we could have comfortably commuted to this other school, I was, um, I was kind of forced to walk up the hill to this new school. So for the last three terms of year six, I went to a school which shall remain nameless. And suddenly every single student there turned on me and it was just this nightmarish year. And so I got to the end of the year and I had about three weeks to go and I was a big reader of Tintin. I really enjoyed the Tintin novels. They were great. They were amazing. And they really hold up. And so about three weeks from the end of term, when our graduation was due to kick off, I was just so jack of the bullying that I walked straight into the library, Ocean's Eleven style, with this bag hidden inside my bag. And I just put all the Tintin books in there, hid it, walked out, went home, told my parents what I'd done and said I wasn't going to be attending the rest of the year. And they went, great. Cool. And they basically spent the next three weeks lavishing me with gifts and taking me out to movies and just sort of just making sure I felt good about myself. Although that does, upon reflection, mean I technically didn't graduate primary school. Now, does that render all my subsequent educational, like... Um, no, I don't think so. You sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I just, you know, I'm... What, were you 11 at the time? I would say about that, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm dealing with, I've, you know, I've, I've been with Audrey for a year now. Mm. And so her daughter was 10 when I met her and now she's 11 and I'm dealing with that. You know, I'm dealing with life with an 11-year-old. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I find that it's a bit, I didn't have the first nine years to kind of get used to this is how you do stuff and this is how you're, you know, you know. So suddenly I'm, I've kind of been thrown into the deep end. Of mm. So I'm, I'm studying a lot. Don't tell her, but I'm reading lots of stepdad books. Are you reading parent? I'm like, reading stepdad books. Wow. Dude, you've got to. Because it's a little, you know, I don't want, it's like, shit, I don't want you to spend $50,000 for therapy when you're later in life. How can I stop that? Hey, you know? my parents had to take me to therapy before that point. Yeah? So they took me to a child counsellor who prescribed me like a litany of drugs. Really? I, I was drugs? In, yeah. Wow. Very, very early. I was on Arapax Ritalin. Um, uh, I was on Rakutane for my skin. I was on Dexamphetamines. I was I, like, I, I rattled like a pill. Dexy's Midnight Runners? I was off chops most days. Uh, and then when I was about 15, um, I kind of decided to turn to my parents and I went, hey, guys, I'm going to try for like two weeks not to take my meds. So I'll just see what happens. And just, I felt like a werewolf about to warn the villagers that he was about to go berserk. So just tame me to a tree and we'll just see what happens. And that was the darkest two weeks of my life. But when it happened, when 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 the you know, did when, you go cold turkey? Yeah, totally cold turkey. Fuck, yeah, so I started exercise to try and counteract it. So I was like doing chin ups, like just screaming at the sky and whatnot. And I had this little cave where I would hide, and not a real cave, it was just a regular room. Uh, and I would play video games. And so I became very insular for a fortnight. And when I emerged, like blinking in the sunlight, I just felt much clearer and cleaner mm. and happier. And that was when the bullying stuff started to wane. 
uh, and then it came back with a vengeance when I um, when I broke my nose when I was fifteen uh, under very like spectacularly idiotic circumstances. Um, it was a very cold day up at um, St Paul's, which is basically like an asphalt playground, just this big like just horrible. None of this padded shit. No, it's literally just yeah. asphalt for about a kilometer, and then trees jutting out very Mad Max style out of this like wilderness. It was yeah, just, yeah. Nice. And then there's these like um, waist high wooden posts around each tree. And so my friends and I would sit at these posts and on Tuesdays it was sports day and you're up quite high near North Head. It's, it's very wind blast and it's very cold. And so we have these tiny shorts and I have a wind cheater and my friends get there and I go, hey guys, I'm going to try and balance on this post. So I sit there with my butt on the post, pull my knees up to my chest and then I zip arms and legs inside the wind cheater. Oh, yeah. And I'm sort of teetering there like this, like a Fabergé egg about to just spiral downwards. And then one of my friends thinks it would be funny just to go Ugh! and just pretend to nudge me. And then I start to sway back and forth like a pendulum. And then I fall a full meter directly onto my face. Uh, my nose gets smashed to smithereens. My eyes go black straight away. My skull's all messed up. And they roll me over and then they unzip the windcheater and I sort of deploy like this bloody parachute, like blah, like my yeah. limbs sort of splay out. Yeah. And uh, they took me up to the hospital. And when I came back to school, I had a white plaster on my nose and black eyes. And so, of course, for the next three years, I was called Panda. That was my, that was my nickname. Jeez, little boys can be fucking horrible. It was horrible, wasn't it? I had like, things got really bad there. But the second I came back to school to a new group of people, uh, I was fine, which yeah. taught me that it wasn't me. It was just sort of the mixture of the wrong people in the wrong place. That's would have been so tough. Were you, are you got brothers and sisters? Well, I have a younger sister, yeah. and um, in fact, she just uh, she just got engaged in Japan yesterday, which oh, is nice. amazing. Congratulations! Uh, thank you very much. I will tell her you said so. And my brother, who is running this cafe over in Potts Point called Glider, so I had younger siblings. Um, my brother hadn't started school, high school at that point, so he wasn't there. Although, to be fair, he was rough as guts, so he probably could have helped me out. Right. But I really just needed to get away from those people. I need to be with different people, which That's is why. It's so traumatizing, you know, because, you know, as a kid, you want to be, like, and I'm learning this now, you want to be sure that this kid, the kid thinks that the world is safe and it's going to be okay and, yeah. like, and that you at least I can afford them some protection. But, and you have to do your best to go, okay, well, here's some tools to use in case you get into trouble when I'm not around and then go off into the world. And then for you to come home, just like, I can't imagine you would have come home happy most days. I can't imagine you would have to come home to your parents go, this is fucked. Yeah, they were. And my, because the one thing you can't do is go and, you know, you can't be the Falcor running the bullies into the, into the dumpster in Never Ending Story. You have to kind of let it play out by itself. But the most valuable thing my parents taught me was perspective. Like, Paul, this is a small moment in like a, in like a line of events in your life and it won't actually matter later on so please try and step out of this and try and just view it as part of a whole which actually sort of helped and it's helped me as an adult yeah so when bad career stuff happens and i've had some weird things happen career-wise i just sort of look back and go actually like in the grand scheme of things it doesn't actually matter it's kind of how i deal with when my girlfriend's away she's in perth for three weeks and i'm missing the hell out of her but i'm like like three weeks is nothing because we're going to be together for a while hopefully so i guess when i was being bullied i just tried to think this isn't happening it's hard in the moment but it always helps to kind of, you know, try and remind yourself of Did that. The, now, okay, so I want to go back. Just one more question. Because mm. I, I started, I got sent to doctor, psychiatrist at five. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I must have just come in under the wire before they just started mass prescribing mm. everybody everything. Mm. Um, how many sessions did you have with her before she went, ah, the answer is drugs? Well, um, actually, uh, I went to a, a male doctor and he, I went to him, I think, five or six times. Yeah. And then 
One day I saw him at my high school and I assumed he was there for me and I couldn't figure out why he was there. And then I realized that he probably was there for somebody else. And I ran up and said, hello. And he blanked me like he blanked me. Like I was like I was like it was a formal and I was being stood up like it felt really weird. And that's when I went to my parents and went like, I don't want to see this guy anymore because it just felt weird and toxic. But I went I went enough times to know that I was effectively just there to get the prescriptions. Like it felt like I, I think honestly, he was one of those doctors who took shortcuts. So, you know, it might also explain my, you know, aversion to um, most chemicals. I have a very low tolerance for for putting things in my body. So. Well, good for you. I had to wait a few years before I figured that part out. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to be a kid and be, be medicated like that. Were there any other kids at school that were on meds as well? Did yeah. you keep it secret? Or? Occasionally you see kids pull out those little pill boxes, you know, with the days of the week. Really? I never saw that at school. Wow. I, just, I, just, I used it to portion out my candy. I would just, yeah, you know, yeah just... Did you ever sell any Dexies to make money? Never. Although, <laughs> when I got to Melbourne, uh, when I was about 25, um, I had a bunch of friends who uh, enjoyed the party times. And they asked me if I... <laughs> no. Still had the script? Well, no, actually, I mentioned the ADD and I mentioned that I had Dexies and they all just like perked up like a bunch of meerkats across the room. They were like, what, what, Dexies? What, what? Yeah. And I'm like, what's the big deal? Because if you have any form of ADD and I have what has been diagnosed as spectacular ADD. I have a quilt of different ADDs that kind of coat me. So they don't do what they do for most people if you have ADD. They tone it down. Mm. They focus you. You can always tell the ADD kid at the party if he's just incredibly calm and paying attention to everybody else. So, I mean, and they basically tried to talk me into going to get a new prescription, Uh uh, which I politely declined. I don't know, man. I don't know. I just never saw the appeal of, of Dexys. Oh, no. I, I, I have a mate up in Brisbane, actually, and he was, uh, was quite a troublemaker, but he he was diagnosed really late in life, in his mid-30s. Oh, yeah. And he got on the Dexamphetamines, and he's like, oh, fuck, like the last 20 years of my life could have been so much easier <laughs> if I hadn't been suddenly going, do frogs like chocolate? Why is France so far away? You know, just, you know. Just constantly just skipping from one thought to the next. Yeah, it's exhausting. Um, whereas, you know, other people like to take it so they can, because it's apparently like the cleanest speed you can possibly get. Yeah. Look, uh, as far as, like, in terms of trade. Just without the dodgy biker transaction. But yes, <laughs> without the Sons of Anarchy vibe to it. I guess for someone with ADD, yeah. trying to focus is a bit like, because I, I, I think I'm kind of smart. Mm-hmm. But my brain is a bit like a fire hose that you turn on and just watch kind of slide around and smash into things. Mm-hmm. You know those big fire hoses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was a fiery and I used to see. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, for nine years. And I used to see, he drove ladders and we would go to the back of the fire station. Like the Thunderbirds trucks. Exactly. Fuck yes. What was your favorite Thunderbird? Be honest. Oh, two. Yes. <laughs> two. Could do anything. Also, it's got. Two, a- two is ri- the rip. They wrote two into the script. Like it's the get, <laughs> it's the Deus Ex Machina. It's the get out of jail free. It's also Cut. got another Thunderbird inside it. Well, that's the thing. It's like, we've got this really big problem. What can we do? We'll pull out the pod we never use, which has got the machine we've just invented to get us right out of this risk. Oh, it's a special mind device to get the kids out of the mind. Oh, the worst one was the space station. You are just... Up there, alone, yeah. masturbating. Yeah, pretty much. Just, just. I wonder if they ever showed that, if that puppet was ever built for that specific Or purpose. if the, 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 they, Mr. Tracy came on the screen at the wrong time. One, one moment, Dad, I'll be right there. Wait, Mr. Tracy came on the screen? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. With the eyes, the blinking eyes. And May May. What's her name? Min Min or May May? I'm not sure. Oh, and that weird, the weird clicking noise you would hear as the now eyes. I'm thinking kind of... May, now I'm thinking May May, who was the girl from Robotech. Anyway, that was Min May. Anyway. See, you do have ADD. No, I don't. You do. I've had my meds today. Um, 
So, okay, so the, the thing that you did then described, which I did want to ask was, because I got bullied and it was awful. High school was just fucked. Yeah. And, you know, my little brother, who's now in Shanghai, talked, you know, Facebook wasn't invented when I was in school, but he got a uh, uh, a 20-year reunion thing on his Facebook thing going, hey, we're getting together, boys. And he said he looked at this photo and he looked at all the names and he saw everyone so excited to see each other and he just got, because he was horrendously bullied in school. Mm. And he's like, I feel really sad because I have no connection with any of these people. These are really important years of my life when a lot of other people still have personal business, you know, cultural ties to these guys or girls or people that they've known since they were 13. But mm. he's like... I know one guy that I care about and it was, a, it was really sad. And I guess, you know, I love that the same for me. There's like maybe two guys I went to high school with and I'm still mates with the rest of them. Like, sorry, they're nice guys. I'm sure. Yeah. But I've just got so many horrible memories of them being just fucking horrible to me. Did that have anything to do with you getting the fuck out of Sydney? No, uh, actually, see, I, tr I tried to reframe school um, and education as a kind of, it's like puberty. It's a chemical process you have to go through. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot. School is so much like prison in so many ways. <laughs> it is. It's big gray buildings where you are masked around by a timetable. You are punished if you do anything wrong. And you are forced to be cellmates with people you goddamn hate. Like there is, it is basically prison. So when I got out of prison, I'm not going to hang out with my cellmates, except for Morgan Freeman, who I am going to meet on a beach someday. But look, the thing is, when I got to Melbourne, it was because of a bad breakup. And I told people for years that like, oh, I just, I got dumped and I had to leave. The truth is actually, I was a, I was a clingy idiot and I, and I, I, the relationship was toxic and I left because I was probably bored of Sydney. So I finished um, my degree over at UNSW. I did a film studies degree. And then I started postgrad journalism at UTS and I had to break up. And really, I just needed an excuse. Sometimes yeah. to do truly great things, you just need an excuse. Mm -hmm. You need something else to present itself and you just need a push. So I ran over here and was crashing on a friend's couch for a few weeks. And then my parents, who are amazing, and my dad, who is now an antique dealer, uh, basically crammed as much of my stuff into the ute as they could, drove it across, and I've been here for, well, I've been there for like eight years, I think. Melbourne. Yeah, I love it. I love it, man. Yeah, it's, it's a great city. Your, mm. your father was a fireman from what age? Let me just run you through my dad's weird... List of careers which make my friends think he is legitimately a spy. Yeah. Uh, first of all, um, he was a skydiving instructor. Yes. Then he was a scuba diving instructor. I've seen the certificates. These are legit. Did, did, he, ever, did he ever do one to the next, James Bond style? Did he ever scoop, skydive into a scuba? You, uh, yeah, and then straight into the uh, Aston Martin moored at the bottom of the ocean. Totally. Yeah, no, my dad. It was a, by then, I think it was the Lotus. The oh, underwater Lotus. It oh, the was. Roger Moore one. It yeah. was the Lotus, yeah. Roger Moore was just the shittiest Bond. He was so, it was a comedy by then. It was a comedy by then. I mean, I think I would like to see, if you want to see like Bond fights, yeah. like UFC should really have some sort of Bond fight because uh, it would have to be everyone versus um, a new guy. New guy? New guy. Daniel Craig. It would have to be everyone versus Daniel Craig. Wait, every James Bond versus, versus Daniel, Daniel Craig? Craig? You mean a bunch Two. of old men fighting Daniel no, Craig? No, 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 like James Bond's in their prime. It would have, have to be every James Bond in their prime versus Daniel Craig because yeah. Daniel Craig would just wipe the floor with all of them. Connery, maybe? Well, Connery had that weird thing where he would do a flip, but the editors sped it up to make it seem more frenetic. But yeah. it just looked weird. But I was watching Thunderball the other day, and I have a problem with Connery's Bond, because he was always my Bond, and he still is yeah. my James Bond. But holy God, that film is a tad rapey. 
Like he literally, within the first 10 minutes, he takes a woman against her will and basically tells her not to tell anybody. And then he just, he forces her into sex. And I, I really, and I went through all the films with this filter and I'm like, how many good Bond films are they? And does looking at the Bond films through the filter of political correctness ruin them? Because it's not the 90s anymore. Political correctness isn't the bad thing. I feel like you should be able to view you know, great works of art through that prism. Mm. But you should also go, it's a product of its time and you need to take this into effect. But I was yeah. watching Thunderball and I just reached this tipping point where I'm like, jetpack or no, you are an asshole. Yeah. But then you watch Casino Royale and it's great again. But then you watch, then you watch the new one, Skyfall, in which he creeps onto a boat where a woman who has been, basically been sold into sex slavery for decades has confided in James about her skittishness around the men who have sexually assaulted her for money. And then he creeps into the shower where she is having a shower. She visibly flinches and then he holds her hands in place and has sex with her. So I'm starting to kind of retroactively reassess Bond as a, as a kind of idol. And, and I, look, I, I know that might sound... Horrible, but in a day where Mad Max comes out and is such a kind of paragon for yeah. you know, political correctness and yeah. virtue, I mean, it's the best action film and best sequel I've seen in so many years. But, like, should Bond be held to a higher... How did we get to this? I asked about your father skydiving to scuba diving. Great, okay, so... What did he do after a scuba diving instructor? Uh, then he, he joined uh, the police force as a cadet. He was uh, stationed over at North Sydney. When uh, were you born? I was born in 1983. So the skydiving years? No, Sco- the Scooby years. I was the Scooby years. Yeah, it was just him and some friends solving mysteries. Um, <laughs> well, here's the thing: my parents met underwater the- mysteries. Yes. Now, uh, my parents met in the police force. So my dad was at his wits' end with his uh, family, and he kind of just was bored and wanted a change. So he was looking through the leaflets at like the you know job place, the jobby job town, whatever. CES, it's called. it was called. Yeah, why not? And he pulled out a, f- a pamphlet for you know why not join the police, and there was this hottie on the pamphlet. And so, like any horny 20-something-year-old would do, he went, you know, why not? Hot girls in uniforms with guns, I'm in. Yeah, so he gets to North Sydney, goes through the basic training, and then he meets the girl who was on the pamphlet. It's my mum. Your mum was on the pamphlet? She was the woman on the pamphlet. Right on. My dad joined because his penis told him about my mum via the circulatory system. I'm not sure how the human body works. It almost certainly doesn't work that way. But he gets, to, uh, he gets up the nerve to ask her out. And they start kind of, you know, hanging out. And about two weeks later, he asks her to marry him. And she says yes. And they run off together. So two weeks? Two weeks. He's not here to fuck spiders, is he? Nope. And I've never heard that phrase before. And I hope never to agree. Really? No. Oh, oh, God. It's a Melbourne phrase too. Is it? Yeah. Oh, you have cockroaches here. We have spiders over there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the other one is I'm not here for a haircut. Oh, that makes sense. He's not here for a haircut, is he? That makes sense depending on where you are. Yeah, yeah. This is great. Actually, the, the best use of I'm not here to fuck spiders is there's a there's a fantastic um, uh, Melbourne hardcore band called uh, King Parrot, mm. and they have a brilliant opening of the, one of their videos. is a ripoff of the. Uh, it's at the Tote Hotel. Oh, I know the yeah. Tote. Yeah, and it's a it's a takeoff of the uh, bar scene from The Shining. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. Where the lead singer and the bass player having that conversation. <laughs> he says, "Can I have another beer, thanks, Michael?" Another one already, sir. I'm not here to fuck spiders, Michael. <laughs> it's it's very very good. That's great. So anyway, so your dad and your mom they meet yep. in the force. They yep. run away to get married. You make them sound like Jedi's. Uh, yeah. So they oh, meet I, in the, they meet yeah. in the force. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it binds them together, and they run away to Fiji, where apparently they conceive me underwater. How's that for some fun, disgusting information? Um, my girlfriend's from Fiji. Look at this moment. Really? Yeah. Just to, oh, also, my grandfather by marriage is a Fijian prince. 
his tribe owns an island. Well, owned an island. So now he's working in Queensland on the rail yards and he was one of the guys who apparently brought Taekwondo across to Australia. Anyway, my family's insane. This is so hang on, you were, when did you hear about this, uh, you know, submariner conception? Well, and when did they share this with you? My sister told me and she says she found out from someone in the family. I I get the impression it was sort of like a like a like a filthy information doobie passed around and it became more polluted as it went on. So I'm not sure how accurate it is. But then they're together in the force and then my dad um, joins forensics and then he leaves because of uh, he was kind of sick of the corruption and things were pretty rough back then. Some of the stories he's told me are outright horrific and incredibly litigious. So he joins the police force. Well, I'm guessing that Queens, because I grew up in Queensland during the Fitzgerald hmm. inquiry years, and so I'm sure that Queensland police weren't the only ones who were dodgy ads. Well, no, because I assumed Sydney police were crooked and then I was told they were okay and I went, well, okay, I'll move to Melbourne. The day I get to Melbourne, the first paper I see at the airport is about massive corruption and I'm like, cool, cool deal. <laughs> Australian cops, uh, look, anyway, so um, he joins the fire brigade and he end up, ends up becoming a ladder driver. Mm. One day he comes home with uh, he, this weird look on his face and he sits us down and goes, okay, so me and my friend Mark were upstairs in the fire station and this woman collapses about a block down the road. So we put the, uh, you know, the busy light on and we run down and we spend about seven or eight minutes resuscitating this woman and people are crowded around and she's clinically dead. And so they end up resuscitating her back to life and the next week dad was getting a medal from the mayor of Sydney and there's feed that he was in the papers and mm. there's a plaque on the wall. What I'm trying to say is, my dad is this like spectacular paragon of manhood and I review video games for a living. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm kind of pulling my weight in the in the man department. Is that is that silly? No, no, no. You're just doing it in a different in a different way. Maybe. And and look honestly, it sounds like he's the kind of guy that worked very very hard to let you do whatever you wanted to do. Yeah, he did. And and here you are. You have this job where you rever- review video games for a living. Well, he's created a world where you can get paid, pay your rent, put food in your fridge reviewing video games really that's pretty amazing there was a nice moment where i did this um and still do this kid show on abc3 called steampunks and we have this massive set uh in sydney down like near the channel 7 studios it's basically an aircraft hangar size set so we can do big crane shots and i'm playing this like dickensian idiot and i'm in this full waistcoat and there's big cogs and there's child contestants and gaffers running around and i got to call my dad up because he was he wanted to see what i was doing and i brought him on the set and he started like basically crying like he just couldn't process that his son was doing something like this and so i just had to lead my dad around and my dad's quite young so i'm there with my dad and we're just sort of riffing and we went for beers afterwards and he was so incredibly proud and it was just it was so nice to be able to show him that my kind of creative endeavors weren't just you know a waste of time it would have been difficult hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. 
BlueNile.com. Well, for your dad, you know, to be such a clearly powerful, fearless <laughs> man, you know, I jump out of planes, yeah. I do dangerous shit underwater, mm. I fight crime, now I pull, you know, <laughs> dead children out of car wrecks and then go home to my family. Yeah. Yet this son that I can't protect is getting bullied at school. That must have been really tough for him. Well, it was nice because the day before that, um, I told him this on set because there was a kid there who was, um, he basically, there's this game where you get tethered to this bungee cord and have to run down this thing and everyone's yelling and there's all these big props flying around. And this one kid falls over and we all laugh because it's quite funny, but he starts crying. So we cut and we go over and it turns out that he'd been quite badly bullied and he was just very sensitive to being laughed at. So I kind of took him aside and had a word with him and just told him that I was bullied and just to, you know, like, just like, don't let it get to you. You were great. Everyone's laughing because you're hilarious. And then we all kind of had a big chat with him. And then I sent him this letter basically just detailing exactly what I would suggest for getting through bullying. And I sent it off and I told my dad that. And my dad was just stoked because I took this useless, like, my job on Steampunks is essentially yelling at people in a British accent. I mean, the first time the contestants meet me is when I pull this lever and they slide down this series of pipes and then I'm sort of hello what's your name and they're sort of all freaked out and it's nice to be able to turn this you know fetishization of what is essentially Monty Python since when I was a kid which is a show my dad got me into and turn it into something really positive Mm. it's nice to be able to positively affect people you know it's nice to be in the street and occasionally have kids run up to me you're the guy from Steampunks I'm like yes I bloody am you put the voice on? Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. I was at this, um, they do this, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra had this concert called Symphony. No, it was um, the Doctor Who Symphonic Spectacular. They had the full orchestra doing all the music from Doctor Who. They had Daleks and Cybermen. And halfway through, I was with my, um, my girlfriend, Tegan, and we just started going out. And she was still assessing me as a person. Like, what, what kind of guy is this? And so we're there dressed up to the nines and we're outside in the intermission. And this little kid comes up, like seven years old, dressed as David Tennant. And he's like, are you the guy from Steampunks? And I lean down, I'm like, yes, I am. What's your name? And he's like, I'm David. Oh, fantastic. And his parents come up and they go, oh, he's such a big fan. So I sign some stuff and I look back and I've done all this without realizing that this girl I'm trying to impress is behind me with her jaw on the floor. And I was like, yes, amazing. <laughs> I own seven-year-old. <laughs> seven-year-old boys think I'm awesome. <laughs> you should too. That was so nice. So at what point did the first uh, game console come home? Was that like, a, oh, kids getting bullied a lot. Let's give them something to do. No, dude, I wasn't allowed to. I wasn't allowed to game. My parents got rid of our TV when we were kids because they wanted us to read more. Yes. Yep. Weird move. You were the kid in the corner reading Dune at school, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, you were. Yes, I was. Yeah. I was the. Yeah, I, I, I have always identified with Paul Atreides. Thank you. Um, and I ended up. His getting name a- is a killing word. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me if you're a mortal soul. Oh, such a good movie. It really is. It's a bad totally movie. weird. It's weird, isn't it? It's so weird. It's so weird that David Lynch took his name off it. I don't know why, because it's just it was. It's one of my favorite things he's ever done. Well, it really is. It's yeah. I mean, I understand that if you wanted to make June the movie, it really should be about eighteen hours long. Yeah. You know, it's essentially the trailer for the book. Yeah. Even though it is two hours long, and Picard's in it, and. You know, it's, oh, he is. Yeah, he is. Oh, he's. Oh, he is. Fear is the main killer. That's you know all that wacky, wild, totally bonkers. You know, I still chant. I still chant that shit at myself when I'm rock climbing and I'm freaked out. I must not fear. Fear is the. What are you? What are you saying? Nothing. Um, it will pass over me and through me. When I'll turn around, only I will remain. <laughs> you know, his um his son ended up writing follow ups to that. 
and um, the series ended with um, with Paul coming back to life. Mm. Yeah, they cloned him. It was basically a retcon happy ending. It was pretty nice. I wonder. I wonder in this world of, of, of shifting climates, if we will end up in still suits. I wonder. Mm-hmm. Who, who was the guy who taught him to use Max von Sydow? Was the guy who taught him to use the still suit? Mm. They're having a Bergman retrospective over at Acme next week, and I'm going to try and get my girlfriend into Bergman. That's hard to do because Bergman is. Do you like Bergman movies? Um, Ingmar Bergman is basically not to be confused with Ingrid Bergman, who is a very beautiful woman who is now dead. Uh, Ingmar Bergman is an old Swedish uh, film director and auteur who's famous for things like The Seventh Seal, which is that film where he plays chess with death on the beach. Anyway, it's kind of iconic. As you do. He's like the Swedish Hitchcock. So, right. We've gotten wildly. Okay, no, hang on. So there was no TV, but you said you you sealed yourself away and played video games in your room. Yeah, so my best mate, Anthony Stenmark, uh, who uh, had all the gaming consoles, I would go to his place and I would play. Um, His father and him would play Sierra Adventure games like King's Quest and Space Quest. And I kind of got into gaming because of him. Mm. And then I ended up buying a, you know, like a dinky little PC and having it hidden away in my back room and just playing video games nonstop. Were you not allowed to have it? I was, but I wasn't encouraged. If I played for more than an hour, they came in with the old square eyes routine. Okay. But they were the first ones, my parents were the first ones to plug my, you know, my gaming articles and my video game shows when I got them. So So what was it, a 486? What was it? Uh, No, it was slightly after after that era. So it was like early Pentium. Yeah, so I will tell you that I had a uh, 20-speed CD-ROM drive. I don't want to brag or nothing, but I do remember going to my friend Paul Scarebeck's house when Rebel Assault 2 came out and it was the first game where we realized we actually needed a sound card. So we boot this thing up full, like like John Williams style Star Wars, you know, FMV motion video and there's X-Wings roaring around and it's, there's just, it's just deadly quiet. And I'm like, what's with this? And he goes, I don't know, maybe it's the way the game is meant to be played. We get halfway through and it just seems a bit crap. So we go back to Harvey Norman to complain. And then he's like, you don't have a sound card. And I'm like... We didn't even know what a sound card was. Whereas now, you just kind of buy a gaming rig and it's got everything in it. It really was primitive gaming back then. But you had the clickety, clickety, clickety keyboard. You weren't on Did the joysticks, were you? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, but my friends, I had friends who played TIE Fighter with the joysticks. So I'm right. thinking about buying one. Where, so how early was, what, what was the first game you remember actually playing? Uh, that would be... Oh my Any God. platform. Any, Any platform? Yeah, yeah. It's the Batman game on the original Game Boy. Um, That's the first one. You, someone handed this to you. And yeah. You went, At school, I'm assuming. Yeah, so I saw people playing it, and then I kind of begged this kid to let me borrow it overnight. So I took it home and hid under the covers and played Batman to completion. And the first level is where your, um, Jack Napier gets – he's in the chemical factory, so you're Batman. And it's like the most crude graphics. And we're play, I'm playing this Batman game. And it just like monochrome Game Boy. Yeah, yeah, like dodgy you know, yellow and black one. Yeah, the the greeny yellow and the black, and it's and you know the little battery indicator and like those old beautiful grey Game Boys that smelled like you know like um like a lightsaber being ignited. Sweat, just so clunky and beautiful. So I played this thing nonstop, and recently I downloaded an emulator and I've played it again, and it just it's like it's. So you clocked it overnight the first time? Well, yeah, because I didn't sleep. So I go to school and I'm like, there, there's your Game Boy. And he's like, how'd it go? So I finished it really quickly and I discovered I had kind of an aptitude for these things. Well, this is, this is you know, perfectly supporting my theory that uh, folks who are born with a brain slightly different are just born with a kind of superpower that sometimes serves them and sometimes doesn't. So when you've got this going on, you're like, <laughs> what do you mean? Of course I can complete a game overnight. Of course I've memorized every single move in every single level. I can barely count. I have no math brain. There's big bits of my brain missing and there's big parts that remember like every single piece of minutia about, you know, Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica. My youngest brother uh, 
he he probably won't he won't mind me saying this. He went to a boarding school. Mm. Uh, he was so disaffected with school, he wagged a hundred days out of two hundred days out of boarding school. Wow. Uh, yet could complete Halo Two on hand to hand mode on expert what the super insanity mode. He could complete and no weapons. He has just memorized the whole thing from front to back. <laughs> he could totally. He's a genius. Yeah. Man. So uh, you know, I really. I was talking about this with um, who was I talking about it with the other day with Merrick the other day about yeah. how the school that I went to really kind of was just aimed so broad and missed a lot of people on the edges, mm. um, people like myself who just I just totally didn't get numbers. I spoke, spoke with Lily Cerner the other day, the mathematician. Yeah, and she was like, "Yeah, school is not meant for people like you. No, to be taught maths isn't meant to be taught." like that to people like you. It's not. Math should be taught completely differently to people like you. Well, the problem is education should really take like an individualistic kind of approach. Like yeah. what what is your brain tailored towards? What are you good at? Because I had teachers and we've all had the kind of, you know, um, goodwill hunting style teachers who occasionally sit you down and actually yeah. ask you what you want to do. It's not your fault. Exactly. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. God, I miss him. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I have basically turned playing video games into kind of a living. I do this um, show now called 28 Plays Later with a good friend of mine, Chris Straub, who is a webcomic artist over in the States. And every week we get together and we Skype. He's in Seattle and he's just had a kid. And so he is perpetually exhausted. He has this adorable child, but he will kind of clamber over and play some video games between work and we do this podcast. And it's really nice because we've just started to get like a little bit of money for it. So on top of my other writing, I'm actually, he didn't realize that you could get paid to play video games. He was somehow, he kind of missed that boat. He makes his money elsewhere. I make my money elsewhere. But now we're kind of, we, we're taking everything we're good at and kind of taking it and putting it into one place. Mm. So it's just, it's really nice being able to every week get together and basically talk with a good friend of mine about video games and it be relevant and listened to. You know? Yeah. So let me do my maths. You're 31. 32. 32. Yeah. Yep. You're a grown man. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still probably wouldn't be able to figure out what, what, I don't understand what it is with grown people doing playing video games. So folks who just don't quite get it ah. or quite understand, what would you tell them about grown men, grown women who go, thanks very much. I'm going to pop this headset on and I'm going to shoot some kids in Texas. I would first of all say that uh, thankfully there is no game which lets you do that, although... Well, the kid playing the avatar... Oh, I thought you meant there's a game that lets you shoot kids in no, Texas. you know what I mean. The little lonely runs, fuck you, faggot! Oh, like, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, because whenever I play, I play pink. I play bright pink and I call myself Pink Yushimi just because I think it's hilarious to troll the misogynists. Can um, I recommend a game uh, on the Wii U right now called Splatoon? So Nintendo haven't created a new IP, which is intellectual property, like Mario or whatever. Uh-huh. They haven't done anything new like that for about 15 years. So they've created this online shooter, for lack of a better term, called Splatoon, where you play as a squad of squid children, basically spraying as much colorful ink on the environment as possible. It takes the multiplayer aggro competitive part of a shooter, takes away the guns, and there's no voice chat. You have to use gestures and hand waves and stuff to talk. So there's zero aggro. It's oh. It's really nice. It's not toxic at all and it's very enjoyable. Anyway, what was I saying? Um, uh, Video games, yes. I would say to people who question why adults play video games is that we've kind of reached the point where I feel high art and low art in terms of narrative should be dispensed with. Because when I was growing up, it was like, read books, don't watch TV. And then it was, TV is kind of considered an art form now, and movies are okay because I studied them at university, but games are a low form of art. So I've come to the conclusion that narrative is narrative. 
there's there's good storytelling in every single medium. There are video games I've played that have hit me emotionally far heavier and harder and faster than almost any other medium. And it's because you kind of dispense with that one-way communication. So when you're sitting in a movie theater, it's like being in the womb. Like you have no input. You can't dictate how you're going to turn out when you get spat out of that door. But if you're in a video game, you're having a conversation. Like you're actually interacting with the narrative and guiding it. Depends on the game, of course. But I think video games and storytelling are now so tightly knit together that I'm, I'm struggling to find major critics who are still upholding that. Although Roger Ebert was a massive, massive person who uh, really pushed the video games aren't art argument. And unfortunately, I can't argue with him about that anymore. So No, but uh, Roger Ebert, I think, he's a very, very famous folks who don't know who he is. He was, he was basically a, a positive review from him could make a film $100 million. Yeah. He was such a powerful film critic. It's mm. not even, I don't think he'll, there'll ever, ever be a film critic of that power ever again. Ever again, him and Siskel, Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Basically, if the film got two thumbs up, that was it. You were buying a freaking yacht and going to the Bahamas. He also but, famously gave Blue Velvet the thumb down. He hated yeah. Blue Velvet. Yeah, well, no one's perfect. Um, the, the the thing I had a mate that made video games for a long time, and he transitioned into films. He was a three D animator. And yeah, uh, he went on to be a project manager of thousands of animators. He worked on Happy Feet Two and Owls and Cahool and things like this. And now, he, now he's in like massive project management for this humongous corporation in the states. But he was the one who told me like back in two thousand two. He goes, "Have a look at this graph. So what's that? This is expected um, uh, investment to returns of cinema versus video games over the next ten years to two thousand twelve." And he said. We're going to be bigger than cinema by 2010. Said, really? He goes, yeah. Cinema's right now 800 million. We're going to be 865 by 2010. And they were. They're yeah. like oh, nearly a billion, over a billion dollar industry per year now. Uh, it's absolutely, you know, or bi- sorry, billion. It's absolutely colossal. Like I'll never forget when I when I lived in I, I lived in Los Angeles for a very long time, and um, uh, I remember never forget driving down Sunset Boulevard in LA, and it was um, uh, Gears of War. Gears of, was it Grand Theft Auto Five? No, Gears of War. Uh, there's the side of the Mondrian. Yeah, uh, opposite that, on the Hyatt, it's got to be thirty feet, thirty stories high. All right, and there's this um, Gears of War Two. It was mm. seriously eighty meters tall. This billboard was. Yeah, for a video game. Yeah, I've on, seen on Sunset Strip where it's like only ever movies, TV. Yeah. Or, or the gap. I've seen billboards uh, for video games. I was there for SummerSlam because I'm into WWE. Uh, and I was there doing a gig, watching SummerSlam, and Grand Theft Auto V was about to come out. Now, for those of you who don't know, Grand Theft Auto V made $1 billion in the first week. In a week! A video game! Anyway, we're driving down, and yeah, sure enough, every single major character had their own billboard. The, like, every building was just slathered with PR. And that that sells units. Like now there's trams and buses covered in video game art. Um, the Elder Scrolls Online comes out. The game was already released a year ago. They're re-releasing it for consoles and it's getting a massive publicity push. Like it's on bus stops all over Sydney. I didn't even know they were doing that. I didn't even know it was coming out again. It's it, But it is so interesting that as a narrative, <clears throat> we talked about Mad Max very briefly before, mm-hmm. but I was at the cinema the other night to check out Tomorrowland, uh, Grim. For a Disney film, uh, <laughs> scared the fuck out of me. To be honest, was that that's Brad Bird's libertarian kind of nightmare hellscape? Is that where she picks up that thing and appears in another place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Great, it's it's actually really really scary. By the time Disney, if Disney's making movies about climate change, yeah, it's a scary time. Okay, time to be frightened for everybody. I've heard Epcot floats. So let's that's... pay let's pay attention, folks. Okay. Um, 
But anyway, we were there and we were standing in front of the, you know, had the, had the no showing billboards uh, while you're waiting for someone to come out of the bathroom. There's all the billboards there. Yeah. There must have been seven of them in front of us. One was not a sequel. All right. So of the intellectual property that's being made in the films, everything is a pre-existing franchise or, or part of something else. But in video games, it's the opportunity to create entire worlds, entire narratives solo mm. that you can be sure, uh, you know, are, there, are their own things separate from that, which is, which is kind of interesting. That's, you know, maybe screenwriters or story producers are, you know, maybe working with those kind of companies to create independent characters, independent worlds, independent ideas free of this, you know, is this film going to work well in China? Mm. Um, how simple can we make it? Yeah. Um, movies. I mean, you worked in a video store, you know, as well as I do. When back 30 years ago, a sequel was like, really? Yeah. You're just cashing in, mate. I know. Pull your finger out. Better be good. <laughs> Better be good. Well, sequels were the purview of like of shitty horror films, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Son of Jaws 3 in 3D. Michael Caine did not turn up uh, for the, oh God, he couldn't accept an Oscar because he was filming Jaws 3. Brilliant. Wait, was Jaws 3 or Jaws 4? Jaws 4. Jaws 4. Jaws 4. Jaws 4. He talked about that when he did his Oscar. I can't say I'm always proud. But I've always worked. <laughs> Master Bruce. So good. He's great. He's so, so good. Though, you know, it does, I do lament. Like, all you've got to do is look back at, and I do miss this, you know, I do miss the trailers that used to get on a VHS. Mm. But you look back, so much, so many, like, original story ideas were made um, out of, you know, and, and were, and these films would never get made now. Never, ever, ever get made now. Um, about gaming, just quickly, now you've described very at length and I distracted you a lot, so sorry, about what, why grown-ups play video games, mm -hmm. uh, grown men and women. What are your thoughts in the world of uh, pre-ordering uh, video games? Because I know this is a, a big problem for folks that don't understand. It. It's like this is basically like I guess what Kickstarter does. Like give us 250 bucks, we'll take that money with the capital that you give us, we'll then manufacture this widget and we'll send you one of the first ones with an autographed copy card. Yeah. So the thing is if you pre-order a game, they basically take that money to fund the development of the game and then release it when it's kind of shit. Yeah. And then you have to wait two or three months before they update it. And so it, it, it's actually then okay. It's kind of a double-edged sword because big studios um, like Remedy are releasing, uh, I think it's Remedy, are releasing the next Arkham game. So basically an open world sandbox game. Sandbox, of course, means that you have a game world in which you can do anything. Although occasionally in sandboxes, as with real ones, you will find absolute turds. So... They're releasing a, the third game in the Batman trilogy and the pre-order bonus for that give you different um, expansion content for different consoles. So if you buy on the PS4, you'll get a certain mission that you won't get in the other games and, and every console has that version, which basically means they're kind of partitioning the game up and nobody gets the full game at the initial release, which I despise. On the other hand, some of my favorite games in recent years have been funded by people who are fans of the developers. So if you've got, as with movies... The fewer people you have working on a project, the clearer the artistic voice is, which is very nice because if you get a game like Gone Home, which was made by a bunch of developers who bailed on their main studio and thought we want to tell a story that isn't polluted by, you know, by, you know, like a committee. So they create this game, which starts like a survival horror game. And you get up to this uh, house on a stormy night and it actually turns out your family out there and you're a teenage girl who's been away for a few years and, and uh, in uh, Europe. And basically you go through this house picking up things and sort of exploring the story as to what's happened to your family while you've been away. And it's this really touching piece of environmental storytelling, but it came from a studio that made first person shooters. 
So it kind of took the raw mechanics and language of a violent game and turned it into something very pure. And I guess I've forgotten what your question was. It, it was pre-orders. <laughs> pre-orders, yeah. So the indie games that are funded by the same pre-order scheme can be really positive. But a AAA game developer, like people who are making Assassin's Creed, like Ubisoft, or one of those big developers, yeah, I kind of say wait until the game's on sale. If it's a big game, it, it gets patched until it's actually functioning down the road there are some exceptions to this but they're very rare yeah you know it's it's tricky because i mean if films work that way that'd be baffling it would be baff- it would be super super weird. super weird hey here's the movie you can watch it in the first week but it's gonna suck until about two months later when we've figured it out I'll tell you what if you come and see it in this particular town you get 10 minutes of prequel material that nobody else gets to see oh, but but the film but the projector will cut out halfway through the that's film terrible yeah i had to st- actually I had to stop playing video games because of the kind of way that my brain works, yeah. I have a compulsion to just not stop once I start things. Yeah, you need specific, you need what are called coffee table games. A game that is basically three hours long, and when it finishes, it's done. Yeah. What you need are games that are like books. You need narrative based games. You don't, because these games are basically like slot machines. They take that little chemical part of your brain that wants an endorphin hit and that wants to complete everything, because I'm a completionist as well. Games now have things called achievements, which ironically aren't. So if you kill 100 of these bad guys at a specific time of night, then you get this little badge pop up and it says, you know, night killer. And you're like, oh, my God, that felt good. It hits this weird caveman chemical part of your body. And it's really dangerous. And I think it's tailored specifically towards maniacs like us. Whereas games I play now, man, they're short and they're sharp and they're clean and they don't have any achievements. That's why I like my little puzzle games on my iPhone because it gives me that kick. And then I'm done. Yeah. I play it for five minutes and I'm out. Have you played Monument Valley? I love, finished it. <laughs> Excellent. Finished it on the first day. Excellent. And I was devastated mm. that I finished it on the first day. It's beautiful, isn't it? It Just, a, I mean, even Frank Bloody Underwood plays it in House of Cards. I know he does. Oh, he's that's a good example of an adult who games as, yeah. a, as a release, as an escape. Yeah. But, you know, he's a maniac, so. A complete psychopath. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I can't, I, I think the last game I played, it was brilliant. It was on PS4. It was some Tom Clancy overarching God war strategy game and I had Bluetooth headset and I could voice command entire legions around. <laughs> and I'd find myself at four. I'd just shoot at nine in the morning. I'm there at four o'clock in the morning ordering airstrikes on Kiev. I'm like, yeah, I should probably go to bed, but I don't. I, you know, I couldn't stop. Yeah. So I had to I had to give it away. I had mm. to give them. I couldn't have the console in my house because I couldn't not play it i was shooting steampunks and they were keeping me up in the service department and i brought my xbox with me which is a mistake and i was playing my favorite game of all time dark souls um it's regarded as pretty much the hardest game of all time and i was playing it for the fifth time Uh every time you finish it it gets harder and you inherit all your gear and stuff so it it makes you want to it's like going back to your old high school and beating up the bullies with all the adult work with all the adult work but also chainmail. so it sounds pretty fun so I'm, i'm on my fifth playthrough and i'm uh I'm playing in the bath because I can see the TV from the bathroom and I suddenly feel a bit lightheaded and I stand up and I realize it's been five hours since I got home and I almost pass out and I call the concierge and get him to lock the Xbox in the, in the hotel safe until I check out three weeks from then because I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not okay. I had this real moment of clarity. I'm like, yeah. you know, in the silver chair where Prince Brilliant, like once a fortnight or whatever goes, I'm, you know, they're strapped into that chair and he gets really lucid. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Deep C.S. Lewis reference. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I had I'm reading The Magician's Nephew with a kid at the moment. It's awesome. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Very, very good. Horse yeah, and Uncle Andrew is a motherfucker. Huh? Uncle Andrew is a beastly human being. Yeah, dude, he's awful. He's a nasty, nasty man. 
Who would you cast him as in the movie? Oh, Uncle Andrew now? Mm. Oh, Jeremy, oh. maybe a Jeremy Irons, or is he too angular? No, he's not. Oh, <gasps> Charles Dance, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, Tywin. Yeah, but he's he's too solid. He'd have to lose a bunch of weight. You think Tywin's too solid? Yeah, he's too much of a man. He's a he's a warrior. When he gets the when he's on the pot. Oh, sorry, spoilers. When he gets done, yeah, um, he's a little. God damn! Can we just talk about Game of Thrones for just a second? Well, actually, here's the deal. I <laughs> I'm halfway through the fifth book and I stopped two seasons ago. But I'm getting spoilers just osmotically, just because when you're on the internet, you sort of just get yeah, bits. I, I saw a flash of one guy on Instagram last night. And I said to Audrey, I'm like, oh, we're going to have to. We finished at 1.30 this morning. Right. It's like, I'm going to, we have to, because I just can't go another week not knowing. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. It's awesome. It's intense. If you but, like, However, Audrey's read all the books. She, uh, the day I met my girlfriend, mm. uh, we talked, and she says, Oh, yeah, I've read all the Game of Thrones books. I'm sorry, you've read all the Game I've read all the Game of Thrones books. So I was like, <sighs> marry me yeah you had me there um but even last night she goes this didn't happen in the book this this didn't happen in the book yeah i know yeah and that's what's upsetting people um if you like the grimy eastern european gritty realness of game of thrones and it's kind of a really interesting spin on medieval you know because mm. it's grim it's so grim last night was so i couldn't watch some parts of last night yeah i really had to cover my eyes and get hurt and i'm a grown man and I had to what I say, look, can you tell me when it's over? Because there were some parts where I just could not deal with. Yeah, sometimes I feel like Game of Thrones has turned into torture porn and anxiety porn. Well, it was not so much that. It was the violence towards young girls. Yeah, that, not, yeah. That I just was not okay with. Yeah. I just could not fucking deal with it. They've added they've added scenes of sexual assault that weren't in the books and taken away scenes that I enjoyed in the books. But look, nothing's perfect and I don't watch it anymore, so I can't. Step too deep into that room. Now, ring. I'm aware that you have a plane to catch. I literally have a plane to catch. You, you actually have a plane to catch. Yeah. Um, so uh, I will uh, ask you, um, the, 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 you work in this fabulous world mm. of uh, multi-platform media where you're not only on television or radio, but you're also on, on YouTube. And as you mentioned, you're making money by push, putting them all together. Mm. Where do you see the, the, the actual... What's going to be the thing that crosses gamification of content over into the mainstream? Uh, I feel like it's starting to happen because it's sort of just the more people that game, the more it becomes an accepted reality. It's mm. sort of it's it's like progressive change. It's like the gay marriage thing, although way less important, obviously. Mm. In that you sort of reach like if if you're against gaming, you will one day realize that we've reached a consensus where most people are gaming, mm. and then you'll go, oh. It's not for me. And then you will die of old age and suddenly you'll have a whole fresh generation of gamers. Mm. Um, I have a friend who's convinced gaming is going to, via the Oculus Rift and things like that, uh, basically suck people into a sci-fi dystopia where they don't know what's real and what's not. But just so Oculus Rift is like a pair of ski goggles you can strap on. That's exactly what it is. completely isolate yourself from the world while a, a, com a completely imaginary third reality pops up in front of your eyeballs. Yeah, I wore one during a pilot shoot about a gadget show and I was aggressively ill because I was running through a building shooting people with a crossbow while standing still and my brain went, nah! And I was, I was ralphing with absolute candor in the next room, so... Yeah. So the I'm interested to know like how what show will it be because it's happening in the states people are trying people are trying to to gamify uh TV shows and gamify sports shows. I'm just wondering what's going to be the thing that Well, think about it. Game of Thrones has effectively 
turned fantasy into a mainstream commodity on mm-hmm. television, you know. Um, the trick is to not make it just for its existing core audience. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is try and make it appeal to like universal themes. If they start making games that aren't made for gamers, but people who like narrative, mm-hmm. people who enjoy things that aren't shooting people in the head related, you will reach this sort of point where people are like, you have to play this game. It's already happened. The Last of Us is one of the most like tear-jerking, compelling games I've ever played. And I'm recommending it to people who have heard of it. And these are people in the industry. People who don't game are like, I have to buy a console to play this game. I've been told by so-and-so producer that you have to play this game. So I think we'll reach a tipping point when we get enough quality product out there that isn't solely made for an existing gaming market. Because right now they're shooting fish in a barrel. They're making what is... They're making the game that gamers want to play. But people are getting braver and people are telling better stories. So it's going to happen. I would say within the next five years, you know, you'll see... uh, I was going to say games in video stores, but <laughs> video stores don't exist anymore. No, I, I kind of find it hilarious when I drive through Sydney and I see a blockbuster. I'm like, that must be like the last one on earth. It's like seeing a Brashes. You know? A Brashes? It's like seeing a Brashes. It's like, um, where, what music stores exist anymore? No, unless you step into a time schism, you're not going to see a Brashes. Or you sell super weird vinyl. Yeah. That's it. Like new release vinyl, not old school vinyl. Okay, so you have to go. So let me ask you, what what is it that compels you about The Bachelor? You and I could do a whole podcast just about The Bachelor. We could. We probably should at some point. Mm -hmm. I would love to. Um, I adore The Bachelor because it is the inverse RuPaul's Drag Race. Do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? It's a thing of beauty. It truly is. Yes. RuPaul's Drag Race. I I feel like The Bachelor is the straight version of RuPaul's Drag Race because it's very sincere about what it does and it is enjoyed by people who don't normally watch that sort of thing. Yeah. And I legitimately love the first season. And oh. I, I cannot wait to see the next one. Bro, you are going to lose your mind. I can't wait to see the next one. And Bachelorette, let me tell you. Yeah, I'm really amped. Watching the peacocking that goes on between the boys. Yeah, that'd be interesting. It is fascinating. I want a gay bachelor right now. I want to I want to. Yeah, but the thing with The Bachelor is you're withholding uh, a gay bachelor. The uh, What's his face? Uh, the guy that plays um, Mitchell on Modern Family. Mm. He did a sketch on Funny or Die about the gay bachelor where he's the gay bachelor right. and he goes to the mansion and all the boys are just rooting. They're like, hey, he's like, who wants to come on a date with me? And they're like, we're in the pool having heaps of sex. Why would I want to go on a date with you? You're right. It wouldn't work. No, it wouldn't work. It'd just be sex in a house. Yeah, that's, that's the show. That would be the show. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of why. Um, but, yeah, Bachelorette is, is so brilliant. Sam is fantastic. Fantastic. Great. She is so, so good. Right. Mm. Yeah, but she's just great to watch. Great. And the boys are hilarious. Awesome. Are there any nerds in the house? Uh, yeah, actually there are. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it. Holy shit. All right, get on your plane. Thanks, man. Paul. I'm going to take your photo real quick, though. Great. Before that. Okay, sweet. Thanks. And that was Paul Verhoeven. You can find him on Twitter, P-A-U-L-V-E-R-H-O-E-V-E-N. Let him know that you heard him here. Um... Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for making this show what it is. I would ask you once again, if you do have a chance this week, please search in your podcast app for Movember Radio. It's like November with an M. Search for Movember Radio. Download a couple of episodes. Have a listen. And please write a review in the iTunes store. Throw a couple of stars our way. It really helps us in the first few weeks of the show. Um, it'll make everything better. Just a very quick mention to Dave Grohl this week. Dave Grohl, who is the uh, lead singer and head honcho and megastar, the biggest rock star on the planet of the Foo Fighters. 
Dave Grohl broke his leg in the second song of a stadium show in Sweden. Dave Grohl went off stage, got a temporary cast, put on his leg, came back, finished the show, sitting on a chair, rocking, screaming, going for it. The show went on. This reminds me of a time when I stood by the side of the stage at the Acer Arena in Sydney watching Dave Grohl stand by himself in the middle of the stadium uh, with an acoustic guitar playing Everlong with 35,000 people in the palm of his hand. And the manager of the Foo Fighters, a guy by the name of Michael Measel, who I've known, for, I've been interviewing the Foo Fighters since 99. Um, so I've known this guy for a long time. He looked down at my goosebumps as my hair stood perpendicular to my skin. And he pointed at my, my arm and said, you see, Osh, you can't download that. And it really struck me that Dave Grohl is a guy who understands the value of an authentic connection in person to person. And he just solidified himself as one of the greatest rock stars of all time this week. And I hope in whatever way that you can do this week, whatever metaphor in your life can serve for the broken leg, what would Dave Grohl do? I guess this week, ask yourself that question. What would Dave Grohl do? Take care of yourself. Be kind to each other. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 